Good evening. If you'll please open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And we're going to be taking our study from verses 45 through 52 this evening. We are called to walk by faith and not by sight. But there's a problem with this. Is faith natural to us? Doubt is natural. Worry is natural. Wanting to control every aspect of our lives is natural. Wondering if God even hears our prayers is natural. But faith is not natural. How is it then that God crafts us into men and women of faith? In Mark chapter 6, Jesus has already called his disciples to him, and he is hoping that they will become instruments in the work of his kingdom. But these men, once he leaves, are going to face great fear. They are going to face great discouragement and even death in the work of his kingdom. Once Jesus leaves, it is then going to be imperative that these men and women, if they're going to be effective, that they become men and women of faith. And so how is it then that God is going to craft these people into men and women of faith? Well, Mark chapters 4 through 8 really gives us a series of stories, a series of narrative after narrative in which the disciples are in these difficult situations. And in these difficult situations of lack or danger, Jesus reveals his great glory and power and identity as the son of God to these disciples in hopes that they will recognize him as the son of God. But most importantly, that they will put their faith in him as the son of God. And what we are going to see, the problem we're going to see in this study today is that fear and amazement are not the same things as faith. And so today, as the disciples are placed in another difficult situation, our goal is going to be, our hope is going to be to learn how we can build faith in the midst of our storms in life and to see how God builds that faith and what real faith actually looks like. So go ahead and join with me in Mark chapter 6 and verses 45. We'll go ahead and read the entire account here, verses 45 through 52. Immediately, he, referring to Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart. It is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. 
I want you to just picture this scene for a moment. The wind is howling. The waves are crashing up against this boat as they seek to go across to the other side. The storms are raging up against them. We must recognize this is no light situation at all. These men would have most likely been in a very simple boat, not some huge boat like today that's meant to conquer these great seas and go across the Atlantic or something like that. No, they're in a simple fisherman's boat. And verses 46 to 48 go on, or verse 46 really goes on to say, uh, 48 goes on to say that at the fourth watch, verse 48, the fourth watch of the night is when Jesus went to them. Which means that this was not until 3 to 6 a.m. that Jesus went to them, meaning that they had been struggling for hours up against this storm with the winds and the waves. Hours, potentially all night long. They have been completely exhausted. As we consider that uh, some of these men were, were even fishermen, you wonder what, what got them into this situation. They knew their seas, they knew their weather. Was this a foolish decision on their part? How did they get here? Notice verse 45. Verse 45 tells us how they got here. It says, immediately he made his disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side. The disciples are actually in this boat and in the midst of this storm because this is precisely where Jesus told them to be. Furthermore, Mark goes on in verses 46 to 48 to tell how Jesus was alone on the land and saw them in this storm that he sent them into. He saw their painful trek this whole time. Jesus knew exactly what was going on. So while the disciples were obeying a command of Jesus, Jesus sat knowingly on land. This entire scene takes place under God's watch. As soon as I hear that, I wonder, can he do that? Can he send them into a storm and watch them like that? And we all wonder, obeying God is not supposed to be difficult like this, is it? But we all know that obeying God would soon bring these same disciples great persecution in the coming years as they taught other people. Yes, obeying God can be quite difficult. In the process of obedience to Christ's commands, it is actually not outside of God's will for us to be met with great difficulty. Why? It's not because, as it seems, it's not because Jesus has forsaken them. What we will continue to see, and I've already kind of read in the story this this motif of faith, what we'll continue to see is that Jesus is building their faith. He has not forsaken them. And since this is Jesus' means of building their faith, we must consider This gives us cause, certainly cause to analyze our responses, uh, our, our responses to circumstances where we are obeying God, yet we have great difficulty, great difficulty faces us. The question is, how do we respond? 
when we are attempting to obey God, but we have great difficult times face us? How do we respond when we're attempting to teach people, yet we frequently meet resistance from our friends? What are our thoughts when we are trying to repair a a marriage, uh, doing as Paul told us in Ephesians 5, and submitting our will... Yet continually the marriage is not getting better and nobody is responding in the same way. What is our attitude when we make sacrifices for the Lord's work, but our finances or our health are in very questionable situations? Essentially, what are our thoughts? What are what do our minds go to? What are we thinking in those times where we have prayed for months and we have prayed for years Enduring great pain, yet no resolution appears from the Lord. We all know that sometimes we begin to wonder if God even hears or answers prayer at all. He should have responded by now. I've been forsaken when I've done nothing but be obedient. If he really loved me and if he was really all powerful and he actually heard what I was saying, he would do something about it. Wouldn't he? We're tempted to complain in these situations. And if we're honest, oftentimes we might just say, obeying God should be easier than this. I am trying to please you after all, Lord. But we must consider... Does this response of anxiety, doubt, and complaining not accuse the infinitely loving and infinitely wise and powerful Son of God of not knowing what He's doing? In this narrative, it is absolutely clear that Jesus knew exactly what He was doing. He saw their pain. He saw exactly what they were going to. He saw exactly, uh, he saw the deadly storm that they were in the midst of. He knew what was going on and he had a plan for salvation, yet he delayed for a very good reason, didn't he? He was seeking to build their faith. Jesus was fully aware of what was going on. It's no different in our lives. When God is working hard to display his glory, then we... Though we are tempted to complain, though we are tempted to doubt, we must be the people in this world who are defined by our pursuit of God's glory. When God is working hard to display His glory to us, when God is working hard to build our faith, we must not be the ones who believe that He has actually forsaken us or does not care about our situation, have the ability or love to do anything or to answer prayers. We must be the ones who are glorifying Him by persevering in faith and trust through lips and thoughts even that praise the Lord. Just because we currently do not see God's salvation does not mean He has planned it. That is absolutely clear right here in this narrative. Absolutely clear. We can have the confidence to know, the absolute confidence to know that when we respond with a trusting attitude, we we can have the confidence to know first that, that Jesus does have a plan and that we can then respond with praise, with a heart of praise, with lips of praise, knowing that our prayers have been heard, though they have not been answered. And this praise is not illogical. Consider, we can praise with the basis of looking back and knowing 
Yeah, there's been previous times in my life like this, haven't there? There's been these previous times where it seemed like there was absolutely no answer. Yet the answer was finally revealed. We can praise God because we know that he always has our good in mind and that he has been faithful in the past. And so this is the first step towards building faith in the storm. When we are met with difficult times in obedience, striving to obey God's will, yet we're met with great difficulty and pain and we are trying to overcome our own will. And their own difficulties, we must respond with endurance and praise, trusting him, even though there is no answer. But that brings up the natural question in this in this narrative. How was sending these disciples into a storm supposed to build their faith? Well, I like how one person, uh, Paul Tripp, answered this question. He answered this question by saying, He will take them, referring to Jesus, He will take them where they haven't intended to go in order to produce in them what they couldn't achieve on their own. He will take them where they have not intended to go to produce in them what they could not achieve on their own. I believe we're really going to see that trip is correct as we consider the narrative as it continues. Because after the disciples rode for hours, consider after they had been going through terrible pain, finally, finally Jesus gets up and he walks on the water to the disciples. Now that's pretty amazing and we'll consider that in just a moment. But I want for us to think about this for uh, for just a minute. Why does Jesus even get up to walk over to these disciples? Why does he walk on the sea over to them? I submit that if Jesus was seeking to simply take away the difficulty, couldn't he have done that from the shore? He could have just snapped his fingers, done nothing at all, willed it to cease. He's the creator. He could have stopped it. We know something. The moment he gets up and starts walking across the seas, he's not after the difficulty. He's after those men in the boat. He's after their hearts. But in what way? What does Jesus walk accomplish? Well, just imagine for a moment if you were one of the disciples in the boat. The wind and the waves are howling. The waves are crashing. The rain is probably pouring down. Your boat has been bobbing up and down on these tumultuous seas all night long. You're hopeless. You can't hardly see in front of you except by a little bit of moonlight, maybe. You're wondering if you're going to die. You're exhausted. You don't have strength anymore. You're helpless. And then you look up and you see Jesus walking on the sea like it was no big deal while the waves are crashing and your boat is bobbing up and down. He's just taking a walk and it's about to pass you by like it's no big deal. And then when you catch his attention, he, oh, it's just me. And he walks over, steps into your boat and the storm you've been fighting for hours and had no strength yet to defeat instantly ceases. How would that impact you? 
how small you must feel in that moment. (laughs) How small. This is a revelation, not just of our smallness, not just of the disciples' smallness, but of Jesus' power, glory, and identity as the Son of God. This little snapshot, this little video that would continue to play in these disciples' minds for years and decades afterwards is perfectly crafted by Jesus Christ to, without a single word, declare who Jesus is in an impactful way to these disciples. This scene was meant to alter the disciples' view of everything they ever knew. It was meant to alter their view of reality, their view of themselves, and especially their view of this Jewish man they had been following around for a couple of years. This simple carpenter's son. This was meant to teach them who the Son of God was and reveal His glory to them in a very meaningful way and to teach them He's the Creator. You can trust Him in anything. But we must ask for a moment, why put these disciples in the difficult, in this difficulty in order to reveal this glory to them? I mean, why is this mere, why wait to perform this miracle? Would this miracle have been impactful, as impactful, if it was performed in the middle of the day? Essentially, the question is, why do they have to go through this pain and this helplessness in order to see this glory? Is that really necessary? Consider how impactful would it have been for Jesus, you know, one of those days at sea, one of those calm days at sea where, you know, the wind, the wind is kind of light and the, and the waves are kind of light and they're just kind of going across the sea with no problem at all. Would it have been very impactful for Jesus on one of those days? Hey, look, I, I can stop the wind, the wind and hey, look, the, the waves have, have stopped and hey, let's, let's go play football on the sea. I can run across the sea. Would that have been very impactful to for them to for him to do that? I imagine so. I imagine it would have been somewhat impactful, right? It would have been it would have certainly, I think, still revealed him as the creator, at least in an intellectual way. But think about this for a moment. Think about a glass of water. Does a water a glass of water mean that much when you're sitting in air conditioning all day? Does it really mean that much to you? Well, not so much, especially when you compare it to uh, you running outside in the hot Florida sun for a couple of hours. Then you come inside after you haven't had water for a couple of hours and you're parched and you drink that water. And it is, isn't it just like the sweetest, most refreshing thing in the entire world? That's a similar thing to what's going on here. The disciples had to experience absolute helplessness. Yes, go to the moment of despair where they did not believe they could even survive anymore before Jesus' identity, true identity, could be revealed to them. By crafting this scene in this way, allowing them to experience this this moment where they believe that they are dead, 
This is crafted by Jesus to reveal to him, to them, his glory in a very memorable, in a very impactful way. Not just in a, hey, I can do miracles way, but in a way that says, no, I can't just calm the seas when they are, you know, a little tumultuous. I can calm anything. I'm the creator. Don't you see? I'm the one who causes storms to exist. I will them into existence is by my power and my design that these things actually happen. Yes, a hurricane could be stopped by my own hands. You can trust me in any storm of your life. I mean, just consider this taught them that no matter how dire their circumstances in are, were, it taught them that Jesus power was always greater It's true for us. How much more meaningful is it for Jesus to respond to our prayers in our hour of desperation? The faith Jesus desires cannot be created without salvation from desperation. I think Paul Tripp was right. Jesus truly did take these men where they did not intend to go in order to produce in them a faith that they could not achieve on their own. God operates in similar ways today. Just think about Abraham and all his times that he had. He would not have had the faith built to where it was in his life to be able to put Isaac on that altar if it weren't for all the years before of trusting God through famines and tumultuous times and kings trying to take his wife. He would not have been able to trust God in those situations. And we also will not be able to trust God without those difficult times coming to us. Obedient, just consider how God works in the same way today. Obedience is difficult, is it not? It's difficult to seek peace in relationships through submissive behaviors for years with no response. It's difficult to practice uh, honest business principles in a dishonest environment. Continuing to speak the gospel in a world that continues to reject it takes strength. Prioritizing study and prayer when we have no response from God and when our health or our finances are going through rocky times, it takes a lot of endurance. Praying for years when there is no answer takes endurance. But it's in those difficult times of obedience that God frequently reveals his glory, power and identity to us so that our faith might be built. There are just these moments. We've all hopefully had them. There are these moments where in the midst of our defeat and our tears that seem to not end. Suddenly something just becomes clear. Something happens in our lives and everything, everything that was once unclear becomes clear. We're able to look back and see purpose to our suffering. We're able to look back and see that the entire time God was planning salvation. But it was not unclear up until that point. He answers a prayer. Marriages that have been, we've been working to try to repair uh, on rocky ground for decades suddenly start to formulate and become stabilized 
We've, we trusted in our own abilities for years in trying to grow, yet we finally put it before the Lord and things instantly start happening and we have successes. We try to grow spiritually, but we fail and then succeed. We have addictions, but we have not been able to overcome them. And then instead of finding the addiction as our treasure, in a moment we find Christ as our treasure. We go through difficult times, difficult storms in life. And even though there is no hope physically around us, we we find benefit by treasuring Christ in his word. And we find, oh, that's my place of security when everything is gone. We find comfort in praying to God and we realize after all those years, oh, that's what I was supposed to be learning. He's my comforter. He's my answer. We would not, we don't truly comprehend that without the storm, do we? These, these things don't sound too life-changing on the surface, but we all know when we're in the midst of that storm, when that time comes, when, when Jesus' greatness, when God's glory is revealed to us, it is so impactful. It changes everything. This is why James tells us that we can rejoice in our trials. God is molding us for our own good. And so I believe that this then demands a call for perseverance. I want for each of us, when we're in our moments of hopelessness, have narratives and accounts like this that we can turn to in our Bibles or open up in our web browser on our minds and picture, click on that on YouTube and see Jesus there walking on the sea, feel the desperation of those disciples and then see the glory that they saw. See that impactful scene that they saw after you feel that helplessness and see Jesus walked on the water. Jesus can stop a hurricane if he wants to. God knows what he is doing and he does not forsake his children. His gracious transforming power does not always feel gracious, does it? But if we jump out of the boat and give up on God before salvation appears then the opportunity for our faith to be built, for for growth to happen, for us to begin to realize what is most important in life and who we can trust in, it's ruined. God is working to reveal His glory to us. But oftentimes our prayers aren't going to be answered until we have persevered for years. And so persevere because God's glory is displayed most clearly to us in times of desperation for the building of our faith. And so then our question for this passage then becomes very narrow. How would the disciples respond to this revelation of glory? Notice again with me verses 49 through 52. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. 
initially when Jesus takes this walk on the sea and they see him, they are completely frightened when they see him. They think it's a ghost. Mark doesn't tell us that for no reason, by the way. He's building into what their ultimate response is going to be. Jesus reveals himself to them, say, no, no, don't fear. It's I. You don't have to be afraid. Then he gets in the boat, steps in the boat. Everything, the storm they've been battling for hours ceases. And the ESV tells us that they were in verse 52, verse 51, utterly astounded. Other versions say they were amazed or astonished. This is not a compliment. We can see that clearly in verse 52. They were amazed. They were utterly astounded for their hearts were hardened. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Mark is teaching us something very, very important, not just something he teaches here, but something he teaches actually throughout the book of Mark. He's teaching us something very important. There is a profound difference between amazement and faith. There were some daring individuals uh, sometime in the past decade that actually went to the Grand Canyon and actually built a clear, uh, a clear glass bridge that stretches out over the Grand Canyon. Uh, it's pretty amazing. If you visit there, you can actually go there. You can walk out on that bridge and you can look down and the everything around you is clear so you can get the full uh, picture of literally like flying over, walking on the sky. It's called Skywalk. And you can look down and you can lit my palms are getting sweaty. You can literally look down below your feet and see God's creation. You can see that deep ravine below you. And next time I go to the Grand Canyon, I will stand at a distance and I guarantee you Scott Kirchival will not be getting on that bridge. No way on earth. There is a profound difference between amazement and faith. And in fact, as we consider that bridge, could we not also say that amazement in this situation is absolutely pointless? Those bridge builders, whoever did it, they built that bridge so that I would walk out on that bridge and experience not experience it. Not so that I would sit over there with my legs crossed over on a bench and say, huh, that kind of looks like it would be neat and be amazed and wonder how they did that. No, that's not what they did that for. That's why this scene with the disciples in the boat, with Jesus walking on the water after allowing them to be placed in this difficult situation and then revealing his glory as the son of God. That's why it's so frustrating. Jesus has done all this work, not so that they would say, wow, I wonder what that is about and be amazed and astonished at what happens. No, Jesus did this so that they might have faith. Jesus crafted this whole situation so that they might have built faith in him and get on board with him. Walk out on that bridge. But why did they not have faith? Mark says in verse 52 that they had hard hearts. 
I thought about this when I first read this. What does it even mean for someone to have hard heart, a hardened heart towards a miracle? I mean, they knew exactly what happened. They saw it. You can't not believe what happened. Well, think about it like this. If someone has a hardened heart, what we're saying is that they refuse to change or they refuse to move or they refuse to change their way of thinking and living. They did not want to move. So though these disciples knew exactly what happened, their response lacked faith because they did not desire to change. That's what sums it up. And so as we consider this, consider Mark's purpose in this gospel. Mark's purpose in this gospel is to prove to us and show how Jesus proved to these disciples that he was the son of God. And if this is the only example we have, wouldn't we agree uh, the case is closed He's, he's revealed as the son of God. It's proved. It's done. But that's not all these disciples had. They had had miracle after miracle. And in fact, he says they did not understand about the loaves. Jesus, just less than 12 hours before, had, had fed thousands of people with a little bit of bread and fish. And now he does this and reveals himself as the son of God. Yet they have hardened hearts, unwilling to move. Why would they not then, this comes together, why would they then be hardened and not accept Jesus' deity? Why would they not want to move? Well, think about it from the disciples' perspective. To confess Jesus, parentheses, this simple carpenter's son that you've been following around, he looks like just a man. I mean, really picture that. Just a simple man today uh, following him around for a couple of years. If you accept him as the son of God, that changes everything. That changes everything about how the way the way that they think, the way that they live. This would demand their worship of this man that they had been following around. This would require them to ultimately put their I mean, if they've got the son of God right there before them, that would require that they ultimately put their faith in him in a way that would go to the ends of the earth, risking their lives because this is the creator in the flesh. No one has ever seen or experienced something like this before. This is what the whole world is looking for. The creator, who is he? How can I know him? And he's right there in front of them. That would require that they go throughout the whole world and tell everybody, it's him, we found him. But as they saw this sign, they were simply astonished. That's too far to go. They were comfortable right where they were. Weren't they? Do we have a problem with that today? Do we ever look at the enormous blessings that God has given us? Or we experience answered prayers and then look in amazement and stop there? God is not simply after our amazement, Christians. God is after our hearts. Jesus is after our trust. 
when I was in college, I had a couple of friends that I was in an on-campus group with that I desired really badly. I'd gotten really close to them. I really desired to teach them. And for two years, I got to know them really well. And I I never really said much. They knew I was a Christian, but I never really took it to the next level of, hey, I want to teach you. (laughs) And then finally one day I decided, okay, I'm going to say this prayer. And I prayed to God for an opportunity. And instantly there was an open door right there. I asked for the class, got to study with them. It was great. I was completely amazed at how God had so quickly answered a prayer for me. But you know, my amazement was absolutely pointless if that did not result in a faith that continued to go to God in each situation with my friends and say, God, could you give me an opportunity with them and open a door with them and then step out on that ledge, trusting him with our sweaty palms and ask and do it. That was pointless. His revealing of power was pointless if it only results in amazement and not faith. We cannot truly see Jesus as the Son of God and ever be the same person afterwards. If we are going to have real faith created from these difficult situations, this is going to require that we step out on a ledge and trust God. Isn't that tough? That's tough. And I know, as I stand amidst a group of Christians who I know love God and have faith in God, and you're already doing these things to a certain extent. We're already, well, all already doing these things to a certain extent. And so that makes this a really then a really difficult idea to solidify and make tangible for us because we've all made sacrifices and we've all stepped out on a ledge to a certain extent and trusted God. But, you know, these disciples had already left their their families. They had already left their wives, their homes, their children and their jobs. And Jesus called them to more faith. They followed Jesus around Palestine, going on a boat over tumultuous seas Jesus still called for a fuller recognition of his power to lead them to fuller trust. And so then for a moment, I want each of us to then consider how can Christ bring us to the next level of discipleship, the next level of faith in our relationship with him? We've made sacrifices and we've displayed trust in the past, but we need to consider how can our knowledge of Jesus deity, how can our knowledge of Jesus love and authority over creation and ability to to work miracles in our lives? How can that shape how we live from here out, not shape how I've just lived in the past, but shape how I live from here on out? How can we grow from where we are today? For each of us, that's going to be very different because we're all different people with different strengths and weaknesses and different situations. And so we all have different opportunities. And so you can t- we can take the, ex- the disciples as an example. Christ wanted to reveal his glory to these disciples and build faith in them because in a few or, or soon he was going to ascend to heaven. They would see him no more. Yet they needed to still trust him as they proclaimed his good news. They still needed to trust that he was still watching and taking care of them as they proclaimed his good news across borders in worlds where they wanted to and did kill them at times. 
That's why he wanted to build faith in them. And so what in what area of your life, in what area of each of our lives is Jesus calling for us to make a difficult step of faith? A few examples, this may lead some of us to eliminate hobbies that are stealing time and go out there on a ledge and start serving our brothers and sisters when time has not been there for us before. This may lead some to drop their pride and pursue reconciliation of of broken relationships. Some need to pursue deeper usefulness and a greater focus on growing in their roles in Christ's kingdom and even participating themselves more in, in this congregation. There may be there might be sin that we know is in our lives, but we've not had the trust to put it before Christ. And say, I'm just going to be fully open with you every time I sin because I know you know all and I know you can conquer this. Otherwise, you wouldn't have told me you could. And so we're going to put our faith in him and tell him about it and constantly lean on him about it to overcome that sin. Others need to lessen their pursuit of of money and great finances and, and focusing on those things and focusing on success in this world and instead being generous to others and to God, uh, not just in our finances, but in our sacrifice of time and heart going out on that ledge, however it might be. And then others like the disciples, this could lead them to drop their fear of man, their fear of failure and trust the son of God as we tell our friends about him. Each of us must ask this question for ourselves and probably focus on just one or two things right now at a time. How can Christ's display of glory and power in my life drive me to deeper faith, devotion, and service. And the reason we've not overcome these fears in the past and and done these things is because we are afraid. And so here's a little suggestion. When we are trying to overcome these times of fear, picture God walking on those seas, whether it's right before you want to ask someone for a study or right before you're about to pursue reconciliation of that broken relationship or right before you're about to lay your heart before God to change you and trust him with your sin. Picture Jesus walking on those seas and calming those storms and recognize he can calm your storms too. picture that ingrain that in your mind, him walking unaffected on those seas. When the storms of life come, let us not be those complainers who seek an easier path, but praisers who recognize God's purpose of building our faith. The glory, the rock solidness, the power, the love and grace of the Lord cannot be fully comprehended until we lose all hope in our abilities and our own power and recognize our helplessness. And man, that's so painful. It is. But when his glory is revealed to us, no matter if it is after decades or even when we go home to him, even at that time, that's not when faith will be built. But more even in this time now, even if it's after decades, when our glory, his glory is revealed to us, do not stop at amazement. But remember that moment forever ingrained it in your mind and let that build your faith because amazement stops short of the true glory of faith building storms. Jesus is the son of God. Trust him to reshape your life to the next level of discipleship today. 
If you've lost your awe, and especially your faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, trusting Him in your storms, will you not pursue Him today? Will you not see His power and put your faith in Him? We are calling for each of us, for you, to see His power and to trust Him in your difficulty and in your storms of life. We know these times are difficult. And what better way to learn trust in these times than to lean on one another and to talk to one another. Because no storm that has overtaken our lives is completely unfamiliar to other people in the world. We've all gone through various storms, even though they might be different. And we can talk to one another about these things. And so if there's any way that we can help you in your walk with Christ and overcome and have faith, then talk to us afterwards or come forward to the front while we stand and while we sing.